understands, struggle to share our anxiety, anxieties with God. We tend to keep it to ourselves. What's the issue? The issue isn't really about belief in God. Um, all of you believe in God. Even demons believe in God, right? I think, rather, the issue is the issue of trust in God's character. You are not actually convinced if you're not sharing with him. For example, we might wrongly interpret bad things happening to you as God's absence or his inability to help you. Correct? We do it all the time. This pain sucks. A loving God would not let this happen. Right? So what, we're, what are we doing? We're trusting his character. We have a problem with trusting God's character. We believe him, but we don't trust him. But Peter and James offer a counterproposal, a new perspective through pain. God is completely trustworthy because God in Christ has gone through the sufferings of humankind, all of its pain. Now, all we could do is simply use a human human analogy. So, um, as most of you know, I lost my dad uh, just over two years ago. And I remember having, you know, several wonderful conversations with people and they were wonderful because they too had lost a parent. They too had lost a dad. And I found solace in this conversation. Why? Because they just get it, right? They know how I feel. I felt understood by them because they had experienced the same Grief of losing a dad, right? That's, just, that's a human analogy. So how much more does God understand your suffering? Because he has experienced incredible agony, rejection, and hatred, the whole bit. He has gone through it all. And so we have an understanding and compassionate God And that is why you can rejoice, right? And so we choose to rejoice knowing the truth of this. We have a trustworthy God. And then Peter also goes on to say we can rejoice also as we reflect on the future glory that awaits us. You know, we tend to be people who live in tunnel vision. We see only earth, We see only the problem. But Peter is trying to teach us to open our eyes and look at the big picture. Christians ought to be people who live in holy expectation of the glorious future hope of Jesus Christ. All the troubles and the trials that God allows to shape us will all be worth it because of this glorious future that awaits us in Jesus. Uh, Some of you know the author and pastor Tim Keller. He just passed away a couple days ago. And that was one of his last words, right? He just says, 
to his family, I just want to be with Jesus. He actually simply lived in the hospice for one day, maybe less than a day, and then he passed away. But that was one of his last words. I just want to be with Jesus, right? So he was at the tail end of things, but we have to train our minds to think about this glorious, glorious end. And he was suffering from pancreatic cancer, but um, he was thinking about the end. He was pulling him, pulling him into eternity, right? It's all worth it because the pain will be, be gone. You will get to be with Jesus for all eternity. The tears will be no more. And when we see it this way, trials and troubles are merely temporary. I know it sounds a little cheap for me to say that, but it's true. It is merely temporary. I remember my, my daughter's soccer coach. In soccer, kids get kicked in the shins all the time, right? And then these kids hobble around, and I remember the coach saying, it only hurts for five seconds. <laughs> Keep on going. It only hurts for five seconds. And this is like life on earth. It's only going to hurt for five seconds. Well, okay, longer than that. But you get it, right? Because when you think about eternity, it's going to be so, so much greater. Look at the glorious picture on the other side of suffering and death. Something of immense glory awaits us. That's another reason to rejoice. And yes, you can rejoice right now because you know it's coming for those who knew Jesus. Doesn't that put a smile on your face? Wonderful news. Fourthly, if you suffer for Christ, the Holy Spirit rests on you. So when you become a Christian, something awesome happens. God gives you the gift of his presence, his empowering presence, the Holy Spirit. In this sense, you are truly blessed. I mean, come on. God within you? With you? So when you face difficult times, we need to understand that God has not abandoned you. Remember this trust thing I'm talking about? Trust in the truth of God's character. When he says, I have not abandoned you, I'll be with you, believe it. And you have to live that way. We must believe that God, through the Spirit, rests on you, especially in those dark times. We have the Holy Spirit. So Romans 5, 6. This is the passage I was trying to read to you this morning without a mic, but it goes like this. This, or part of it. This hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit, to fill our hearts with his love. I love that. I don't know, when I hear the word fill, I, just, I, I think of, for whatever reason, balloons and helium and... I don't know, just... Do you get it? Like, God just fills you with his love. But of course, it's a more personal way. Many Christians throughout church history have often spoken about the dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul is when they just cannot sense God's presence. And we all go through these moments. We go through dry spells. We go through dry spells in our devotional life. But remember, your faith is not anchored to feelings.
this. Feelings are very real in the Christian life, but sometimes they just kind of go dark. Our faith, rather, is anchored to the truth of God's presence with us. Okay? Another reason to trust him. Character issue. He's always with you. And even when it goes dark, God doesn't stop loving you, even though it doesn't feel much. He does not stop loving you. His presence is still right there with you. Even when you're sinning, he still loves you. He wants you back. So whenever you face the dark night of the soul, whatever it's deep discouragement or depression, the attacks of the evil one, we must bravely learn to trust Jesus who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our faith must be always anchored in the true character of God. Now, at this juncture, Peter wants to kind of add a condition. When you suffer, it shouldn't be because of stupidity. That's not in the NIV, that's my words, but listen to the verse. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Now, what is Peter trying to say? Well, let me just kind of tell you this biblical story, and you know it well. But while Jesus was still with his disciples, uh, you know, Peter would have remembered the time when Judas led the chief priest and the temple authorities to the place where Jesus was, right? And uh, so they could arrest Jesus. And these dudes, they came with their clubs and their swords, you know, thinking that they needed all this. Uh, It was obviously an overreaction. And they had no good reason to arrest Jesus. It was both illegal and immoral. But they were simply bent on getting him and killing him. One of the disciples, likely Peter, was so angered about what was going on because... Rightfully so, it's like stupid, unjust, ridiculous. And so he took a sword and he cut off the ear of one of the priest's servants. But Jesus immediately said, no more of this. And then he healed this person's ear. So what's the lesson here? We must never return a wrong with a wrong as a Christian. Don't do stupid things because you will probably deserve that stupid thing. It's not for your faith in Jesus on that occasion. It's because of stupidity, right? Just because you feel hard done by by the government doesn't give you permission to do evil. Suffering for Christ means suffering as Jesus did. When Jesus suffered, he did not retaliate. He made no threats. He left justice into the hands of his Father. And we need to do the same. So that's kind of like the sidebar note Peter makes. Oh, by the way, not that he thinks these people are murderers. Maybe they were meddlers. I have no idea, right? But it just throws that in there. By the way, 
When you suffer, suffer rightly. Number six, God disciplines us in order to deepen our relationship with him. Verses 7 to 18, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Now, I'm not going to try to explain everything in this verse because we just don't have time. But at first read, it appears to be a hard message to understand. Uh, earlier, Peter talk about, talks about a fiery ordeal, right? To test your faith. But these fiery ordeals, this refining fire, is God's judgment. And the word judgment here, don't misunderstand it to mean condemnation. Okay? We interpret it wrongly sometimes. Here, God's trials, God allows trials and tribulations of many kinds to refine us and to draw us back to him and to deepen our relationship with him. So in this sense, God allows you to go through judgment or discipline to draw you back to him and cause you to go deeper in your faith. God will allow you to face trials to help you see your own pride and your own arrogance. Because guess what? We all tend to have it. God is sovereign over all creation, and he is wise to allow us to face the pain of a thorn to reveal our pride as he did to Paul. So I mentioned this before, but as Paul said, a messenger of Satan that came to torment me. In the context of that passage, he gives the reason for it. Because of his pride, actually. It mentions it right there, right? Satan used pain to try to demoralize his faith, but God uses the same pain, because he's sovereign even over Satan, And he'll allow the pain to help Paul and us see his desperate need of Jesus when he is weak. That's the principle here. When we see that we really are needy, that everything in life that's been given to us is from God, that we need him so desperately that we are really weak without him, then it might draw us back to God and down on our knees once again. So God is actually helping us become children again. Because that's all where it begins. What is a child like, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old? Do they desperately need their mom and dad? Yeah, pretty much, right? They desperately need their mom and dad, and so God allows these things to happen so that we understand our desperate need for Jesus. And then we begin to pray again. Then we begin to trust again. For example, uh, you might have experienced burnout in your life. Um, Fatigue. uh, Emotional breakdown. 
And, you know, I'm not su suggesting just because you go through something like this, you know, that this is the reason for it, okay? But sometimes it has to do with your failure to stop and to receive the gift of Sabbath rest in Jesus and to take it seriously, right? So many are addicted to their jobs, for example. We work, 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 and we kind of limp into vacation. And then we hope vacation is going to give us enough reprieve so that we can get back into work, 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 work again. Okay? But God's design for us is to call us into the rhythm of working for him. Right? So even work is for God's glory. We work for him, but also to rest in him and to worship him in a rhythm. Not leaving it all for vacation. In a rhythm, a weekly rhythm, in fact, a daily rhythm of listening to his voice and depending on him with daily times, learning to hear his voice, right? I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. But when we ignore God's rhythms, basically what we're doing is we're pushing God out of our lives and we're taking control. We love control. And God may simply allow you to just crash because you're not getting it. Okay? To form a face of judgment or discipline to bring you back into the rhythm that God wants for you. Hebrews says, God disciplines those he loves. God cares about you. He cares about you too much not to ignore you. And so this finally leads us to the last exhortation and then we'll be done. Number seven, commit yourselves fully to God and continue to do good. Verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You know, facing trials doesn't automatically mature you. In fact, some Christians become more miserable and bitter towards God when they go through something difficult, Right? Two Christians can experience the same fire. One person calls on the name of Jesus into deeper humility. The other Christian turns bitter, stops going to church. What happened? God's fiery ordeal is a test. It's a test that will reveal the maturity of your faith. It exposes exactly who you are. It reveals the authenticity of your faith. When we recognize that we're off and you humble yourself before God, it's going to help you immensely. So what causes one to grow and to be refined? Well, he gives us two pieces of advice. Number one, commit yourself to the faithfulness of God 
who made all things. And then secondly, continue to express your trust in God by doing good things in a world that might even live against you. Is that interesting? I mean, this is the whole message of First Peter, right? In spite of the pain and the suffering, the opposition that you face, my children, Peter says, commit yourself to God. And by the way, don't be stupid and act like fools and kick face in the, you know, dirt in the face of your enemies. Continue to do good. That's what he says. And he's consistent. Here it is again. Commit yourself to God and continue to do good works in the world. This reminded me of an old hymn, and the words are right there. Trust and obey. Right? Commit yourself to God. Trust. Obey Him. What does God tell you to do? Obey Him by doing good in this world. Hand over your lives to Jesus who saves you and be faithful to your Creator and continue to do works of service, of justice, of mercy, of love. And God will be with you. So, We aren't just digging a never-ending hole without any purpose, are we? God has it figured out for us. You know, you talk to any mature Christian, and I guarantee you they will tell you that the way they grew most in Jesus is when they accepted his discipline and the hardship that they were going through, and they pressed in and said, Lord, I need you so. And they kept on going faithfully, living for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, these are hard words, powerful words, but they're true words. And I pray that we will not turn from them but may we turn to you after having heard these words. Cause us to repent. Cause us to be driven to you in greater maturity. Cause us to commit our lives to you. And may we walk in new maturity through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great song. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my
great faith.